FusionAuth provides authentication, authorization, and user management for any application. Built for developers, it installs on any platform and integrates with any framework in minutes. And every feature is exposed as an API, giving you complete flexibility to handle any use case. A complete identity solution, use FusionAuth to build and manage re registration and login, passwordless, SSO, MFA, SAML, OIDC, OAuth, JWT, social login, and more. Learn about FusionAuth at FusionAuth.io. Than Code, episode 187. My name is Coraline Hidamke, and I'm here with fellow panelist Jamie Hampton. Thanks, Coraline. And I would also like to introduce my other fellow panelist, Jacob Stobel. Hello, and it is my pleasure to introduce this week's guest, Brian Lyles. Brian is a software engineer with a diverse background, including networking, security, and operations. Speaker of diverse topics ranging from machine learning and simulation to software engineer development and growth to actual talks on the practice of writing software. Brian is an all-around good person with the ambition and ability to push the bar further. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you. And thank you for reading that. It's actually just an ode to make me feel better. So thank you, Jacob. <laughs> no, we, uh, we, we love to do that. Um, we're we're going to start support you, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> we like to start the show with uh, the same question that we always ask, which is, what is your superpower and how did you develop it? Before we could say that, before I say that, I think it's very fitting that this episode is 187, which is like the police code for a murder. And I'm thinking about putting a murder about everybody's thoughts about what Brian thinks about and how he approached the industry. And with that being said, what's my superpower? It's actually very simple. Um, I didn't get stung or bit by a bug. No radioactive stuff. No cyborg stuff. My superpower is the ability to see the world as it is. And wow, why is that my superpower? Or why is that even a great superpower? Well, because there's never any playing around when it comes to how I see, see the world. I take the world, the good and the bad, and I just navigate through it. And luckily, so far, over the past 40-some-odd years that I've been on the Earth and the past 20-some-odd years that I've been working in tech, I've always navigated in the right direction. More people need the superpower of being able to not sugarcoat the world. How does that manifest, Brian? Can you give us an example? All right. Oh, wow. This is a great time to think about it. So today is Wednesday of this week. So what has happened um, in the Black People universe this week? Well... Well, we had the uh, gentleman who got killed in Minnesota, and then we had the other gentleman who had the police called on him um, in New York. And why do I bring those up? Well, because first and foremost, before I am a you know developer or anything like that, I'm just a black guy. And my ability to see the world for what it is, is that none of this is surprising. Yeah. Does it hurt my feelings and make me want to cry sometimes? Yeah, of course. But none of it's surprising. And so what do I do? I, I don't act, I don't sit down and say, give up and say, oh, you know, well, it was me. What I do is I realize that, hey, the world was not built for people who look like me. 
And knowing that, I actually adjust how I operate in the world. I am good at finding ways to succeed when those ways are not very obvious. It's kind of a thing because I think that I am literally the highest rated black engineer at VMware. And out of all the black people in the company, I might be the third highest out of a 30,000 person company, little old Brian Lyles. How did I get there? Well, I realized that the world wasn't given to me. I had to work extra hard. So starting in elementary school, I worked harder. In high school, I worked harder. Give me an open book test. I will not take the open book test with my book open. I will take it closed. And my goal is to beat everyone else out. And many times I did. Let's take those standardized tests that we had in high school. I took the SAT and the, SA and the ACT. Scored perfect on one of them and almost perfect on the other. And why? Because the world told me I couldn't. And only because I could see the world for what it was, that the world was not given to me, that I had to figure out how to work harder to get the things that I think that I deserve, like everyone else deserves, but I'm not afraid to work for it. So this sounds kind of cocky, but it's not. It's actually my coping mechanism. And the reason I look at the world this way is because I realize the world is not made for me. And because it's not, I can't expect it to. There's seven other billion people or even more on this earth. So what do I need to do? I need to figure out the do the, how to do the best things that I can to affect the people around me in the best ways possible without hurting anyone else. And Coraline, you've known me for a while, like years, actually. I have, like, yeah. Yes. And even back in those times, I, I feel that me being able to see the world for what it is allows me to help others be the best people they can be, which is actually the superpower that I wish that I had, that I could just make everyone around me better than they already are. Well, Brian, I think uh, I think you do do that, and I think you're not giving yourself credit for it. I remember uh, seeing you speak, and um, you were very direct. You were like, yeah, I'm that black guy in the Ruby community. And uh, you were always so direct and so matter-of-fact with your observations about the world. I couldn't help but like see a glimpse of the world through your eyes. That's a gift that you gave. And I think that's a gift you gave to a lot of people. So uh, don't underestimate the influence that you've already had. And uh, you still have half your life yet left. That's right. That is definitely right. I want to second that, actually. You keynoted the first tech conference I ever went to. Oh, wow. <laughs> and you all can't see this because of my, my beautiful skin shade. I would be blushing right now, but I can't blush because my skin doesn't turn any colors. But... This is, uh, wow. So, Brian, this is why I was extra excited to have you on the show. You and I have not spoken in a while. You, uh, did you leave the conference circuit for a while, or did you just leave the Ruby conference circuit for a while? Yeah, I went to different conference circuits. I decided that the Ruby world could not contain me. So, I have actually been doing, I still am out and speaking. Uh, the last big thing that I did is there was a conference called KubeCon. Have you all heard of KubeCon? I was the chair of that. It's and KubeCon is a is a conference given by the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. It's literally the largest open source conference in the world. Uh, we did an event back in in November. We had almost twelve thousand people in the, at an open source conference. Uh, so I keynoted there multiple times, and I was one of the program chairs. I also program chaired for the Open Source Summit a few times. Uh, I've spoken on all the continents except for Antarctica. So I, I've definitely been around and just trying to be the example that I want to see. 
And one day, uh, I might actually get back into the Ruby world again if we can ever, before I ever feel comfortable being in public places ever again. I hear you. Are you doing any um, any virtual conferences? I got invited to speak at a couple um, in June, and I am like super nervous about that because I really get a lot of energy from the audience, and um, being disconnected from my audience feels like just talking at my computer. That's what I'm worried about. So have you done any of those, or are you just uh, waiting it out? I did one panel, and I think I'm doing another one. In the next couple of weeks, actually, I think I, over the next month or so, I have two or three more. And I'm with you. I love speaking to people and I love seeing people's responses when I'm talking to them. So when you're doing this event and it's in front of you're basically doing it to your computer. So I guess you could put people people in front of you um, to look at while you're talking. It's not the same. And I think. Right now, since we're in the beginning of this whole uh, COVID-19 era, people are just continuing on with what they have. And they think that, yeah, we'll just get great speakers in their offices in front of their computers and, and we'll get good, good talks. But the problem is, is that engagement is, is off. And I don't know about you, but I can't even watch a 30-minute YouTube video on my computer. So I either fast forward it or download it and then watch it in at 1.5 speed or just don't watch it. So I am worried about that, but I'm willing to give people the benefit of the doubt to figure out where we need to be. What was the last talk you gave live? Yeah. Oh, I spoke in January and there was a conference called delivery Conf in Seattle. And what I did during that conference, I don't know if my slot was a keynote. I made it a keynote, uh, gave a keynote uh, topic where I was oh, talking yeah. about rethinking CI and CD. And I decomposed those, those concepts and CI continuous integration and then CD continuous delivery deployment, whatever. But I took CI continuous integration and continuous delivery and I re-envisioned them and tried to put it in a way that didn't make it seem opaque. Uh, CI is not Jenkins. CD is not Spinnaker or any other product. It's actually a practice and you should be optimizing for what you get out of the practice rather than the tool. Um, I didn't use this example, but I think about it as carpenters use hammers. They don't dictate how a hammer works. They might dictate the weight of a hammer, but they don't say, oh, this hammer, the head of it needs to be made of tungsten rather than whatever else. I don't even know what hammer heads are made of, but they don't do that. So uh, that was my last talk. So now it's what? what's today? Today is May 27th. Um, it's been five months since I've given a conference talk having withdrawals. Do you have any thoughts on, because you mentioned that like the sort of state of vir virtual conferences I think is leaving something to be desired by everyone. Not that they're bad, just that like that special element is not there. And I think something that has yet to be cracked that I would love to see figured out is how to bring that energy of uh, unexpected collisions of people that happen in the best of circumstances, how to bring that into a virtual space. You know what? I am thinking about this. I don't know. I am notorious for going to a conference and going to my talk. And not because I don't think any of the other talks are good. It's just because if I got on an airplane and I flew across the country or across an ocean or two oceans, um, I don't want to sit down and look at content that I can go look at later. 
a lot of conferences I go to, they record them so I can go watch them at my house. I can sit on my couch or watch it on my iPad. The real value of a conference to me is meeting people I didn't know or strengthening the relationships with people I did know. I'm not a, and it's crazy. I'm not actually a partier. I don't drink. I just like to be around the people. And I think like I get to think back about all the jobs, like the current job I have right now is because I went to a conference and I challenged the creator of Kubernetes on an idea, just basically told him he was wrong. And that stuck with him to the point that he offered me a job the next time he saw me. And I think those those kind of relationships were going to be missing. And then also that hallway track is is so big where just think about all the and even in the Ruby community, just think about all the tools that came by because of a hallway track or think about uh, let's go back years ago. Let's go back to like 2008, where whenever I met um, Chris Wanstra and PJ and, and that crew before when they were just or the blog and I would see them out at events and I forge relationships with them and they weren't super strong. We're not friends or anything, but if they see me, they'll be like, Hey, Brian. And I'll be like, Hey, whoever we know each other. And just being able to have those that is missing right now. So what are we going to do? You know, I don't know. I just think this, this idea of, of doing the field of dreams, you show video, people will come. I think that'll get old quick. So what, what could we do? Well, maybe we can have, Instead of having a whole day of conferences, maybe we have a month of conferences where we have events that happen through the month. Or maybe we do something like what um, uh, Microsoft did with Build last week. So a friend of mine, Scott Hanselman, master showman, and he did this whole thing from his office. His office is neat. We, we kind of I don't know if we compete on on who has the coolest office, but his office is really cool. And mine office is really cool, too. But he has more toys than I do. But the way that he he used Microsoft's products, so he used Teams to basically facilitate how people were talking to each other. And he made it very casual, like he was doing work and we were just watching over his shoulder while he was working. I think that works. But this whole idea of just this talk, this speaker, this speaker, when it's not collaborative or or engaging is going to be another thing. And I don't think another problem is going to happen is that. And this is the controversial, you know, the 187, Brian murdering the industry type thing is most panels are low effort. We get people on panels and they do low effort stuff. Now we're on a panel right now. This is a podcast. It's different. You know, I think it, I think it's actually different, but a lot of time panels are, are super low effort where people just go up there. They like them because they don't have to prepare and they go up there and they give, you know, watered down answers. I think we, if we're going to want to do that, let's have that format, but let's make it exciting and engaging. Realize that on my computer screen right now, I have a Best Buy window, um, a code window, a calendar, talking to you all. I'm looking at my sound output. Uh, there's my Apple messages and a Slack and then a picture that I was making earlier. And you are competing with that. And frankly, I think this conversation is interesting because I'm in it. But if I was just watching it, I'd probably be off somewhere else. I'm trying to figure out why I'm looking at Best Buy. Uh, but, but that's what we need to figure out. And conference organizers are going to have to figure that out. So Microsoft did their thing. Like that section was good. The rest of it was, yeah, it was it was all right. But other big companies are going to have to figure that out and realize that the just because people come doesn't mean they're engaged. And having these in-conference or these in-person things allowed us to get engagement that we couldn't touch. So what are you going to do now? I like to think about a lot because I haven't gone to many conferences and something I think about a lot is that I bet a strong majority of people 
are somewhat in that camp that you just described, that they aren't as fully engaged as we expected, or maybe they expected that they're going to the the panel, but maybe they weren't, maybe they didn't know anyone, so they didn't manage to connect with anyone, or they were shy, or, you know, something like that. I sometimes wonder, of a, of a conference of a thousand people, how many people were strongly engaged, how many people were wanting to and weren't able to. You know, that's a good question. And the best part is I'm not a marketer or an events person. I really have no clue. But I am being negative on panels and whatnot. But let me say something else about conferences. Conferences aren't inclusive. And I'm not talking about racially or gender. I'm talking about people who can't attend them, whether it be money or they just don't like the public or they just can't take any time off of work. I think that that is an underserved population. And as event organizers, we should be thinking, well, I'm not one anymore, but we should be thinking about how to bring those people into the fold. So people just don't want to go to conferences, but they like the content. And why should they not be able to get at least some of that interaction? You're not going to be able to get all of the interaction, but some of it, what can we do? And what I'm saying is that this area is ripe for someone to come in and say, you know, just doing this wrong. We can innovate on this better. And we've been in this whole lockdown situation for a couple of months now. So people are just, you know, just becoming normal. Um, I think what's going to happen is people are going to figure it out and we're going to see better structured events. And I hope that this actually goes on longer because a lot of these conferences for big companies don't make money. They're, they, they lose money. So if you're going to lose money, why don't we lose money reaching out to more people? Another thing I had been thinking about as you were talking about this and particularly in that last little part is that like we keep talking about, you know, people are being forced to work remote right now, but it's not really the same as normal remote work and we can't really treat it the same as in regular times. And I think that the same is true of these virtual conferences. Like we can make these plans for events um, and maybe even if we had a plan that like in a normal time would be engaging for people, it's like hard to be engaged right now because everyone is under so much stress. I think that we're doing it now because we like, it's kind of necessity to do it now or we'd have no events, but this isn't necessarily like the best time for people to be like innovative and creative and engaged with this kind of thing. You know, that's true. And I really, I agree with you. But on the other side, and this is like the adult, put my adult hat on, people got to eat. And we are extremely privileged in this space where I work from home. My wife works from home. My oldest daughter is graduated, so she does whatever she does. My youngest daughter is still in school. We're making sure that she's getting her lessons in. And this being home, um, for me, nah, not really a big deal. It's a little bit of a change. I can't go to the store or I can't go car racing or I can't do a few other things or hanging out with friends. That's kind of a, a pain in the butt. But overall, eh, I think I spend less money now than I did before. But to other people where uh, they don't have home offices. So let's think about our coworkers who don't have home offices or they live in like a, a city where they don't have a lot of space anyways. And you don't move to New York for an apartment. You move to New York to sleep from whenever you're not experiencing the city. And now you're working from home and that's hard. And I have an office. I actually have, I literally have two desks in this office. I have a huge TV on the wall over here to my right. I have a closet full of all the tech stuff you could ever imagine. Um, and when I get tired of this stuff, I move to the basement where I have my theater 
or I move to the living room where it's just a different room. We need to think that even in tech, that this is all possible. And even if you live in New York, at least you're, if you're working, um, you work for one of these big companies, you're still working. Now let's think about some of these other companies that they're not working where they're still in tech, but they're, um, maybe consultants and people aren't taking on new projects right now. So what do they do? And you know, that kind of sucks. Hopefully you save money. That's the first thing about a consultant. Make your 40% margin and make sure you have a rainy day fund that is at least a year old, at least take at least a year. So I don't feel as bad for them. Where I do feel bad is for people like uh, my brother. My younger brother's twins, and the oldest one works in a restaurant at a hotel. They furloughed the whole staff. And he's on unemployment, and he sits around the house. And what's going to happen to him? And the reason I bring this up is like thinking that we're just so well off, even though it kind of sucks for us to sit at home. And and we, we think in our mind that, oh, woe is us. When we get to the point where we're like, oh, well, are we going to eat this week? Are we going to be able to afford the electricity or our rent? And this is the whole part about me um, being able to see the world for what it is. So, yeah, it kind of sucks that we're sitting at home. And and you know what? I I think that um, a lot of us are probably suffering from a huge bout of depression that we haven't been able to figure out. Like sometimes I'm working and because I never leave the house, my workday is all day. My work day is every day, all day, until I decide that I had to actually pick up a video game and another hobby so I would not work all the time. So it does suck for us. What we need to do is we need to first identify that this is a problem for us. And then we need to do another thing. We need to work slower or work less. Um, I haven't taken any days off. I always tell my boss that I'm going to and I end up never doing it. But if you have that vacation, now is a good time to take it. Now, what are you going to do? Well, it's nice in most of the country right now. Go outside, go for a hike. If you can't walk, will yourself out front to go smell that, that springtime air and, and realize that, uh, the world's not made for you, unfortunately. So can we say is it ever going to get better? Well, we hope it's going to get better, but is it going to get better? I don't know. I look at the numbers every day just to see if, if we are getting better or not. And out west on Seattle, we are New York. We are in Maryland. You know, it's, it's kind of iffy. So. That was like a really negative answer. But um, the summary is, well, if you know life sucks, well, what are you going to do about it? You're going to go find a little piece of life that makes you happy. And then hopefully it makes the part that sucks a little bit less. We'd like to take a break in the show to let you know that today's show is sponsored by Strong DM. Managing your remote team as they work from home. Managing a gazillion SSH keys, database, passwords, and Kubernetes certs. Meet Strong DM. Manage and audit access to servers, databases, and Kubernetes clusters, no matter where your employees are. With StrongDM, easily extend your identity provider to manage infrastructure access, automate onboarding, offboarding, and moving people within roles. Grant temporary accesses that automatically expires to on-call teams. Admins get full auditability into anything anyone does, when they connect, what queries they run, what commands are typed. It's full visibility into everything. For SSH, RDP, and Kubernetes, that means video replays. For databases, it's a single unified query log across all database management systems. StrongDM is used by companies like Hearst, Peloton, Betterment, Greenhouse, and SoFi to manage access. It's more control and less hassle. StrongDM. Manage and audit remote access to infrastructure. Start your free 14-day trial today at strongdm.com slash sdt. So I have a question. This is called code. We haven't talked about code yet. 
greater than code. The whole point. Oh. Yeah. The whole point of greater, greater than, than code. code is, is the oh. notion that we are more than our output. And the oh. whole point of this podcast is getting to know the people behind the tech. So we never, oh. sometimes we talk about technical topics, but we're never like, oh my God, have you seen this new Ruby gem? It does blah, blah, blah. We don't do that. That's for <laughs> other podcasts. Oh no, I was just curious. There are, there no. are plenty of 35 year old white dudes with nothing better to do who are doing podcasts on all those topics. So we don't need to crowd that field. No, I am 36, Corlett. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I actually, I do, I love the premise. I, I do like the premise. It's something that I like to say to people is that I'm always more than my code. Matter of fact, I'm to the point now if I write code and someone says they don't like it or it doesn't work, I'm like, so you have two options here. You can fix it or you cannot use it. How about that? And, and then I move forward because I realized that that day that I realized actually a long time ago that I am not my code was a very, very illuminating day for myself. I only recently, this is a show about you, but I'd like to share this like brief story and get your, uh, get your thoughts on it, Brian. As recently as two weeks ago, I was actually tracking how much time I spent consuming media versus how much time I was producing content outside of a work context. And I tracked that as a ratio and I tried to keep my ratio at one to three, but no worse than one to two. And I had this realization that, like, a friend of mine said, well, what about reading a book? Why do you think that's a bad thing? Why do you have to punish yourself for reading a book by doing extra work? And I was like, holy shit. And I realized this whole, this whole meritocratic idea of who you are doesn't matter. What matters is what you produce. And I felt so angry at myself for allowing that meritocratic thinking to rule my life for so long and to influence like how I saw myself in terms of productivity. And I got so angry that this idea slipped through the filters and I wasn't even aware of it until somebody asked me about reading a book. And um, that undermined my entire system of self-value and self-worth. So I'm drifting now. Even though I've been railing against meritocracy for like 10 years, this poisonous meritocratic idea was lodged in my head. And it was awful. And I don't know what to do now. You know? Am so the I? meritocracy is yeah. interesting. And I'm not a believer of the status quo. I'm not a, a believer in the, if you work harder, life will be better for you. No, that's that doesn't work. Unless you're of a certain demographic. And I am not of that demographic. And even if I was, I think I still would, um, I don't know, I'd probably way off better in the world. But I think about the meritocracy all the time. And what I learned is that we can reject the meritocracy, but not really. Um, we can do it in our head and we cannot be defined by the meritocracy because unfortunately the way the world works is that the idea of the meritocracy moves us forward. The appearance of, of someone working harder and that is the reason for them moving ahead in life is an idea that we like to subscribe to. Even though this person's parents were millionaires, they went to the best college, they didn't even have great grades, the parents just paid for it straight out, which allowed them to go to, when they, they went to the best high schools, which allowed them to have access to go to the best colleges, which allowed them to have access to the best companies for internships, which allowed them to have best access to um, jobs when they got out of college, 
which basically put him in the right place to have this trajectory to be in charge. Life is good. And they think that that's the meritocracy. I realize that that's a very true thing, that what we call the meritocracy is not really a meritocracy. It's um, it's really secret code for seeing people who look like me succeeding. And like I said, I see the world for what it is. Um, I accept that. And that's fine. So what I tell people who look like me and people who don't, uh, I tell them this. I'm not going to sugarcoat this the world to you. People come out and like Obama did the the national high school graduation thing. And, and he said all what he's going to say, which sounds great. Uh, Brian's version is different. Brian's version says, you know what? Chances are you're not going to make everything you want in life. Life's going to be harder. You're not going to get all the chances. You're going to get passed over. People are going to treat you worse. So what do you do? And uh, something counter to any advice that you give. Um, people love to say that I like to be the dumbest person in the room. And I said, that's that's the meritocracy talking right there. You, you realize maybe you think you think that the world is actually going to um, you're going to suck in all this um, smartness just by um, osmosis because you're in the room with all these smart people. No, if you don't fit that category, be the smartest person in the room. But don't tell anybody about it because people don't like to hear that. So your, your goal is not to be the dumbest person in the room. Your goal is to be the smartest person in the room and not only be the smartest person in the room, but to also give your best ideas away to others and make them their ideas. So you do something great or you had a great idea, find someone else on your team. Tell them, hey, this is your idea now. Run with it and and let them know and just tell them in their ear, your success is my success. And, and do that over and over and over and over again. Uh, what, what, what I find is that by trying to actually, you know, be the, the success that you want to be and then giving away all these things that you what you're doing is building a community around you of support because people realize that once you're giving your best away, they want to support you because either um, they agree with what you're doing or their best comes from you. So they don't want that to end. I tell people that if you if you approach the world this way. Even if you don't get all the things that you want, um, at least you made someone else's life better and can't put money on that one. That's a real win. So uh, I don't want to get super philosophical, but this is how at like the deeper levels. This is how I think about things and this is how I reason what I do. So going out for conferences and, 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 and actually being animated and giving people all these ideas is because I want other people to go out and say the things that I'm saying, not because I want to look smart. I want people to say what I say. I want people to feel what I feel. And whenever, like years ago, so go back 13 years ago, um, back to 2007, when I had the TATFT, where I was talking, like, you know, test all the friggin' time. I love that because people thought it was fun to say and put on their resumes and, and, and talk about it. But what I really did, and I'll take credit for this, I got the Ruby community thinking about testing in a way that still goes today. I actually changed the way that Jim Wyrick thought and uh, people still to this day, you know, 13 years later, tell me that, hey, you changed the way that I look at code. That's the wins that you're looking for. Not that you were better than anybody that you actually um, you actually did this. And I'll, and I'll end it with one thing. So there's this concept of the 10x developer. Um, this is how I look at myself as a 10x developer. Can I have impact on the world that is 10 times greater than what I could do by myself? And I don't know if I'm up to 10x, but I'm definitely um, some multiple above one. So I've been a net um, a net positive on the world. At least I think I have. So um, if you can do that 
I think that uh, if you can't find that direct success, this is the kind of success you should look for. Speaking of meritocracy, I, I read something interesting, and you all may know this, but it's interesting to throw in there. So what I learned is that meritocracy was originally conceived as satire, like the word meritocracy. It was a sort of mashup between the words aristocracy and uh, merit. Like, did you know this? I gave an entire talk dismantling meritocracy. And that's one of the one of the things I opened with. Okay, sorry. Well, feel free to run with that. The, I I didn't. I I learned no, this just the it. other day. Go for it. Okay, so the, basically, like the idea is like it was originally conceived as a way to just like sort of poke fun at the people who are claiming they got here on their own merits. Right. right? It's like basically uh, arist modern day aristocrats who have taken off their crowns and said that they got there on their own hard labor and somehow the phrase has transformed into a legitimate argument for just about any kind of bad behavior that people want to use um, it's the fucking so, libertarians the libertarians yeah. have ruined everything about software development and open source freedom zero is libertarian and they all quote Locke. they're so transparent about it it's those people who have fucked everything up for everybody else more than a lot of other factors. And that makes me mad. If meritocracy were real, if if you truly believe in meritocracy, you must be a white supremacist because all the people in charge are white dudes. So are they the best suited? Are they the most talented? Are they the smartest and the hardest workers? And that explains how they got their positions of power. Hell no. It's white supremacy. Oh my gosh. I'm going to tweet that later. Oh, I am so going to tweet that later. That riles me up. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's fine. And, and I, and you know what? I actually agree with you a hundred percent. And you see the way that I look at the world. So something that helps me also get through the world is, is I have it penned as my Twitter, like your Twitter quote. It's this concept of, of me being an underrepresented person. And I say, well, hold on. I'm not going to define myself in, as an underrepresented person. That's me and it's a negative. What if I define you as an overrepresented person and I'm here just because I'm supposed to be here? And it, you know what? It turns the, turns the conversation around. Because I'm like, I'm literally saying the same thing you're saying. I'm just using a different set of words. But yeah. I actually love that way of thinking about it. If you really believe in, in meritocracy, um, you believe in white supremacy because there's no way that all these white dudes are in charge are the best and are our best and brightest. Yeah. Oh gosh, that is a that's a killer. That one made my day. This actually made this whole session worth it. Like I got uh, something really good out of this. I'm getting ready to write it down. <laughs> oh, so here's another question. Do you ever talk about how people work on this podcast? Yeah, just like just in general. Like how do how do you how do you how do you make the donuts? I think we do. I think there have been yeah. some interesting conversations. What are your thoughts about it? So I'm weirdo. Um, or no, I think I'm a weirdo. I believe in like the whole two monitor thing, but I only use one. I just put like browsers that I don't, it's like my scratch pad of things I don't want to look like, look at go onto the other one. So I don't have to minimize. And you know what, Jamie, everyone is a weirdo, but I'm not talking about everyone. And I don't want to call anyone else a weirdo. So I can call myself a weirdo and it's fine. But another thing I do is I write everything down and not because I don't have a good memory. Actually, I think I have an exceptional memory. But writing things down gives my brain the opportunity to consciously forget things. And I've gotten to the point now, if I don't write something down, it will not get done. 
So I am religious and I'm so religious that between my keyboard and myself is a tablet and I have an Apple Pencil and an iPad. I don't do much browsing on it. I actually just use it as a notebook that I can take everywhere. And I have years and years and years worth of notes in here where because I read this book about AT&T and um, the AT&T Labs. What was that called? Um, oh, gosh. Now it's it's slipping my head. But the people who created Unix um, out in New Jersey. And they had this concept that engineers at the turn of the last century, so the turn of the 20th century, they would have engineers' notebooks, and they would write down everything that happened to them in a day. And so what I do is every day I create a new page, and I write down all my thoughts, and I write down funny things that I hear. And this helps me actually get all these things out of my head. And it's like not a diary. It's not like, dear diary, this is Margaret or anything like that. It's a more of a, if I get this out of my head, I no longer have to think about it. So it's a great way to actually go through the day. So this is what I'm getting to is that um, we've run into these people that we think that are super smart. Like we've run into people. Um, so I have a friend, uh, Kelsey Hightower. He works at Google. Super popular guy in the Kubernetes space. Wrote a book. Uh, done a lot of talks. And, and people just fall over his words. They think he's really smart. Um, I have another friend. She's creating a company out in the, on the West Coast right now. And um, she's she's very bright. People think she's very smart. And what people don't realize is that what you need to do is when it, or actually when you're looking at people and you think this person is really smart, they might be really smart at that one particular thing, that one particular time. And you caught it. But all these other times, you know, they, they, they use the bathroom. Sometimes they feel sick. A lot of times they feel down and they're going through this whole thing with us right now. And the only thing they had was at the time where it counted the most. They performed. So all you need to do to be one of these people is perform or be ready to perform, which goes back to I see the world for what it is. And I really try to be prepared for everything or whatever I'm running into. And that's where my successes come from. Not because I was any smarter or maybe I was compared to like conventional testing. Maybe I am smarter than a lot of other people. But that didn't get me. The hard work got me there. So I just wanted to share that. And then also, um, I know that this is like greater than code, but there was a Michael Jordan documentary that I waited to the end to watch. And my wife was saying that, wow, he's really cocky. And I'm like, no, I don't see that way at all. Um, yeah. Did he do these things that weren't always great? No. Yeah, he did. He did some things that you might not consider above board, but look at what his work ethic was. This guy said, I'm going to win. And he did everything in his power to motivate him and the people around him to win. And, you know, maybe they're Maybe not everything was above board. I'm not here to judge. But I look at myself the same way. Um, given opportunity, am I going to take it or expect it to come to me? I'm going to take it every single time and not expect it to come to me. And that's how I approach the world. So it looks like I'm doing all these amazing things. It's not. It's because I bust my butt and I, and I work a lot of hours to make this happen. Totally feel that. I really like that perspective. Because I'm thinking about it a little bit from the other direction, too, which is about like, like you're talking about looking at someone else and being like, well, are they cocky or are they confident? And I think like if you turn that around and look at yourself, it can be like, you know, I want to celebrate my successes. And a lot of people have a really hard time celebrating their successes. And I think it's kind of like about what you were saying about like this person, you caught them when they were saying something really smart or doing something really smart that they have expertise on. And I think that like many of us have that kind of expertise and have moments like that. But because we see all of the other moments also, 
we feel like it like waters it down. And I like the idea of like seeing like, yes, in that moment, I was the expert, I did a good job. And I was really smart. And like, I'm going to give myself credit for that. Yeah. And, and you know what, Jamie, what I like about it is that you're actually thinking about it. And that's the important piece, you're understanding that the world is not like it is just because there's reasons and actually sitting down and, and thinking to yourself, this is why this is like this. Or maybe this is why this is broken. And if you do that with yourself, then when you go into your workplace, you can start um, reasoning about why your work is like that. As people, we are super inconsistent and realizing that like we're just not good. We're, we think that even the worst of us, we think that we are so habit um, obsessed and things like that. No, we are inconsistent. It's, it's human nature to be inconsistent. But being able to look at yourself constructively or critically helps whenever um, you go into another setting with other people because then you can realize that hey this person's not at their best today maybe they had a bad night and it's not because they're a bad person or they're having some other drama in their life that is affecting that or you know what our our department is not dysfunctional it's actually just the communication gaps here 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 and here and if we fix that maybe you know we got a lot of good people who are really trying to make this work and just being able to look at the world that way rather than Hey, the world sucks and woe is me or, or these people suck and, and what are they doing? You know, let's, let's understand that, you know, overall, many people actually, you know, some people try to do good. Some people will try to take over the world and they will lie, cheat and steal to get their way there. Look at our current government. But there are a lot of people out there who are trying to do good and just the world is not giving them the deck that they want it. So what we need to understand is that people are not perfect and that everyone's just really trying to basically make it to tomorrow and then have a little, uh, a couple of nice things on the side. And I start doing that. And for the most part, it's helped me in a lot of cases. This is all this introspective stuff that I write down in my um, dear iPad diary about how I look at the world. And, and maybe I'll turn it into a book one day, but probably not because writing books seems like it'd be horrible. Writing books is hard. I'm trying I to finish heard. my first one right now. I've been working on it for three years. It's hard. Yeah, and I am succinct. And when I write, I want to I want people to read my whole sentence, so I I write short ones, and that doesn't really translate into books. And I also have lots of books that I still need to read, so I'm giving up on that one. I rather just play video games or something. Well, Brian, I really appreciate the fact that you think about your impact. You think about the impact you have on other people. You watch out for them and you contribute to their success. And you still have time for video games. I would say that's a superpower. It is. It definitely is. So I want to say one last thing, and this will be short. Um, another thing is that sometimes we can't find power in ourselves. So we have to find power in something else. And one thing that I do is I am a hip hop person. Like I love the culture, like for not even just like the music, it's the whole culture. It's the ideas that are in there, but um, one of the things that I do is people have their mantras that they repeat to themselves. All my mantras are, are like hip hop verses or or lines from hip hop songs. So, Jamie, you said something earlier that was a Jay Z line, and Jay Z says, "I'm not cocky, I'm confident," and it just makes me think about it. Yeah, that's that's it. I you can't call me cocky, I'm confident. And then um, he also has another line where he's talking about he's trying to make um, hard things easy and impossible things possible, and I think about that too. But then I go back to Biggie and, and I think about, uh, well, sometimes you just can't get past thing. And, and Biggie has things like what's beef 
And he has a whole bunch of songs talking about how he processed the world and bad boys moving silence and violence. And then I think about Outcast, and I actually have an Outcast shirt. No, I have a um, not an Outcast shirt on, but I have one that I was going to wear. And I think about how they approach the world. He says that we're not country, we're Southern. And think about that. Um, it's not about, you know, people have these impressions of who you are. They live in cities. They live in Atlanta. They didn't, they weren't from the country. They're from the city. And I look at that for myself, that people have these impressions of who I am. And it's my goal. It is my job to show them who the person that I want to be. And then the final one is, um, Tribe Called Quest. And actually that is a shirt. Y'all can't see it, but I'm wearing a Tribe Called Quest shirt today. And what I liked about Tribe Called Quest is that, um, and this is not even a lyric. It's just the group. The group was like brothers. They did good things together. They broke up. They came back together. But they always realized they were better together. And we need to realize that with we can't do all our things in our life alone. And we are better with people, even though we can't always get along with them. We're always better with other people. And so this is how I actually process life. It's always a hip hop song or like, but and I'm just went to ones that people would know. But there's a song by Meek Mills called Dreams and Nightmares. And it starts off the beginning and he's rapping real slow. Like he's even said, like, I did songs to Pariah. And then he gets tired of trying to explain himself to people. So he spends the whole half of the second half of the song yelling about all the amazing things that he has done with his life. And, and sometimes I think about that as well. So I'm not saying that you all need to do hip hop. I mean, I think more people should. And like the old stuff, not this um, this um, berating women and doing drug stuff that we have now. But find something that helps you channel and center your life. And, and that's what I'm doing. And that's how I get through the world. And that's my last thing. Brian, that was super powerful. I think we're all trying to figure out what to do with that. It sounds like a great way to end the podcast, though. Seriously, that was super powerful. Brian, it's been uh, amazing to connect with you again. It's been a long time. I'm glad to see you are just as energized, motivated, and amazing as always. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and talking with us today. Learned a lot from you, as always. And um, just thanks. Well, thank you for inviting me. This was fun. Yeah, this was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you appreciate conversations like the ones we have on Greater Than Code, I would encourage you to donate. Put your money where your mouth is. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash greater than code. Donate at any level, you get access to our patrons-only Slack community where we continue the conversation and talk to one another about the things that are important to us and uh, find all the ways that we as a community are greater than code. So I would strongly encourage you to do that. And uh, that keeps us being able to produce amazing content like you heard today. Additionally, right now during uh, the pandemic situation, we're opening up the Slack for if you can't donate, particularly if you're out of work and you want to join our community, uh, reach out to one of the panelists or the Greater Than Code Twitter, and we're letting people in um, if they can't afford to donate, particularly because we're doing um, job postings and trying to help people uh, with that. 